If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 155 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the 18th day of September in the year 2022. How the hell is everybody doing? (laughs) I'm doing just fine. I actually... I'm doing just fine just now because, my God, the week that I just had, whoo boy. (laughs) To say the least, it was not a good one, but uh, I won't get into it on here. You guys are here for Yankees talk, not my personal life. But, my goodness, it was a hell of a week, and I hope yours was better than mine. But before we get into things, I do have a quick announcement. I'm getting this out of the way right away at the start of the show before I even think about forgetting it and... That is too much of a common occurrence around here, me forgetting things just in life in general, so I'm not even giving myself the opportunity to forget. But just a quick announcement before we get into the contents of episode 155 here today. I just wanted to let you know that for next weekend's episode, episode 156, when we are even closer to the end of the regular season in 2022, I am going to be releasing the episode in the earlier part of Saturday and recording on Friday night. So it will not be a Sunday release. You guys will be getting an earlier release than that because next weekend, there's a very good chance, it's not confirmed yet, but it most likely will be, but there's a very good chance that I'm going to be away from home for the entirety of next weekend starting on the afternoon on Saturday. We may be taking a trip out east and just enjoying the weekend, which God only knows I need because I get no time off from anything. So if that does in fact happen... And that's what will be going on for next weekend's episode. I'll be recording on Friday and releasing it early Saturday before I head out. So you guys still have an episode next weekend at some point instead of me just taking the weekend off. Customarily, I probably would if it were, say, an off-season episode or maybe the beginning of a season episode. But it's the end of the year and it's crunch time and a lot of crap is happening, as we know. So I just really don't want to take a weekend off. This is just too, too hot of a time to afford to miss a weekend of Yapping Yankees. So I I just really didn't want to take the weekend off. Therefore, I'm going to make sure you get an episode one way or the other, even if it's not on the usual day. So I'll be recording on Friday night after I get home from work, so I'll be dead tired after doing that. I'll probably be dead tired even recording the show because work exhausts me, but that's just my job. But anyways... That's going to be the deal for next weekend. You'll be getting the episode probably in the earlier part of Saturday, maybe in like the late morning, early afternoon. I don't know. We'll see. And I'll be recording that on Friday, so I won't have anything informationally or information-wise that happens next weekend because it will it'll have happened after I've already recorded on Friday. So just so you know, and I'll, and I'll probably announce it at the start of the episode as well that I'm 
taping on Friday, you know, the whole deal. So that's the deal for next weekend's episode. Again, as we approach the end of the season, and as we get closer with another week wrapped up since the last time we spoke, I'm coming off quite the high, my friends, because I just got done watching the game. I'm taping this really late today, a little after 6.30. So I probably won't have the episode out to you until like 11 at night. I don't know. But I am recording it after today's final game in Milwaukee has already wrapped up. And what a game. My God. I can't believe we actually almost took a heart attack in the ninth inning there. That we almost had to. Because Wandy Peralta decided, hey, it's the ninth inning and we're up by six runs. But I'm still going to pitch like a complete clown. So he loaded the bases with nobody out. Clay Holmes came in, inherited a huge jam, has disaster written all over it, and... Disaster was about a centimeter away from taking place and being completed, but fortunately, after he allowed a ground rule two-run double, he managed to strike out Urias and get Hura to ground out, and that solidified the victory, but totally unnecessary sweating going on there in the ninth inning because, I mean, you went into the ninth inning up 12-6, to and you're like, all right, the Yankees are getting a much-needed victory, so... Fortunately, they did manage to hold it down, but this game also got off to a shaky start because, once again, I mean, listen, he's had he's had his fair share of, I mean, either God-tier starts or he's just looked like a mess. I mean, you want to define inconsistency. You want to just really look at the very definition of the word, then you should maybe look at Garrett Cole's 2022 season, man, because, I mean, he's had his great starts, even some of late, and then today, I mean, he, he just stunk. Two walks and a three-run tank job to Colton Wong in the first inning. And all game long, just hanging his off-speed stuff. The pitch selection was horrendous. The location, oh my god, it was just bad. By the fourth or fifth inning, I was almost begging the Yankees to get him out of there. Too many starts this happens in with Garrett. I mean... I I see the discussion from everybody constantly. Should he get the ball in game one in the playoffs? Should he get the ball in game one in the playoffs? Should he get the... Yes, he should, because he's the ace. (laughs) Whether you want to face it or not, and yes, Nestor Cortez has statistically had a better season than him. Fine. In a lot of ways, he has. But it doesn't matter. Cole is your ace. You're paying him as such. He is going to get the ball in game one. And and because of how mentally fragile he can be at times, could you imagine... How much more damage it might even do to him if he told him, yeah, you're not getting the ball in game one. I mean, that that could mess him up even more. I mean, if anything, Garrett Cole is clearly a man of routine, if nothing else. And he is a good pitcher. He has good stuff. I mean, nobody's nobody's denying that. It's just he, he goes out there sometimes and has some real clunkers in big games, too. I mean, today, this is a game where the Yankees really needed him to play stopper. They had a rough series in Milwaukee this past weekend after a good series in Boston in the middle of the week. They come into Milwaukee, lose the first two, definitely should have won that first game, and they went down very quietly against Woodruff yesterday on Saturday, which was expected, but just added on to how bad the series had started off. And today, they really needed Garrett Cole to stop the bleeding. And he just went out there right away in the first inning. Started choking it away right away. Fortunately, the offense backed him and the bullpen late up. (laughs) Thank God. And every time the offense did something more to try to creep back into it earlier in the game when Garrett was still pitching, you almost just felt it oozing off of Garrett's body that he just couldn't wait to just give those runs right back. 
Not a good start for Garrett Cole today. Really, really bad. And the only other negative was probably at the end of the game with Peralta and Clay Holmes combining for that really unnecessary nail-biter of a ninth inning. But other than that, today was filled with a bunch of positives. I mean, the offense did their thing. They came back in it, even tacked on some late runs, some insurance runs, which they have had a lot of, a lot of trouble doing for a chunk of the season when they've had a lead. But, I mean, you want to run down the list today. How about my freaking boy Rizzo coming back? And, my God, was he ready or was he ready? Two hits and a homer. First day back. <laughs> he came back prepared, people. And that's what I love to see. Oswaldo Cabrera had himself a great day. A, a, a freaking atom bomb to dead center field on a changeup. A nice broken bat, perfectly placed single the opposite way when he was batting right-handed. I mean, unbelievable game from him. Nice stuff, playing good defense as always. He's just a really talented kid. He really is. And obviously the the main one, the main character of it all <laughs> that you just cannot get enough of as the weeks continue on and you can't escape from really because he's putting up a season that we just may never see again Ever. (laughs) But Aaron Judge, our beloved Aaron Judge, as he continues to streak towards the American League single-season home run record, I say it every week, what more can you say about the man? And you really can't say much more other than just updating on the chase because it is that surreal what's going on in front of our very eyes with his season. It doesn't even feel real that we are watching this. And now, not only are you watching the home run chase, one more until Babe Ruth, two more until Roger Maris, with 16 games still to play in the regular season, by the way, but you're also watching to see if he could actually pull off something that is so rarely done. And that, my friends is the Triple Crown. Yes, the Triple Crown watch has begun. It began a few days ago, but is getting even more intense now. Because the guy with the highest batting average in the league, Luis Arise on the Twins, he is only .001 points batting average-wise ahead of Aaron Judge. He has a .317 average, and Judge, after his remarkable 4-for-5 day, now has a .316 average. And we all know he is well within the lead with home runs and RBIs. But even batting average has come into play now for him potentially winning, and very possibly, might I add, winning the Triple Crown Award on top of all the other accomplishments that he has achieved this year. I mean, they showed this graphic on Yes earlier in the game, and Michael Kay even jokingly said, you might want to take a picture of this on your phones. And I did just that, Michael. (laughs) Because, and this is even before he went deep for the 59th time today of the season with his second home run of the day. Listen to this. These aren't American League ranks, by the way. These are Major League Baseball ranks. Which even makes you think that in a lot of ways, he's even the MVP of Major League Baseball. (laughs) In a lot of ways, the argument could be made that he is the Major League Baseball MVP let alone the American League MVP, no matter how much the Otani stands might want to come at you over that. doesn't matter. Don't even listen to them. Listen to this. Home runs. He is first 
with 58 at the time that this graphic was put up. Now he has 59, of course. He is first in RBIs with 124. Now he has 127 after the game was complete. 120 runs first, even more so now, of course. 9.2 war first and even more so after the continued hits later. I'll just... I'll just say this so it continues the rest of the stats going forward. All of these stats are even better because this was before he got the two-run double late in the game, which looked like it could have been home run number 60 for a second, <laughs> and also before he got home run number 59, so take that into account. First in home runs, first in RBIs, first in runs, first in war, first in on-base percentage, first in slugging, first in OPS+, plus, first in total bases, first in extra base hits. Need I continue? <laughs> Guys, <laughs> it's just... And he's .001 points in batting average away from being first in that too, at least in the American League. But those are Major League Baseball rankings, guys. What else is there to say? I mean, the one thing that I really have left for baseball fans in general, not even just Yankee fans, this, you also have to remember, this is being done, not just in general being done, but this is being done in a contract year. Please don't forget about that. I don't know how you could forget about it because all that's being spoken about is how much the Yankees are going to have to pay a judge if they want to keep him and how stupid they would be to let them go to let him go. How it would be a historically stupid decision to let him walk. But he is already doing this in a prove it contract year, which instantly makes it infinitely more impressive than it already is in of itself. So my advice to all Yankee fans out there, and even all baseball fans out there, is if you are not appreciating what we are witnessing with this man and the 2022 season he is having, you had better start. Because people, this is once in a lifetime stuff. Take that in for a second. You are talking about records being broken accomplishments being achieved that have not been achieved in decades and in some cases even ever this is stuff that you see once in a lifetime I'm not over exaggerating and given how his season is probably going to end once it's all said and done probably even more so this is once in a lifetime stuff I'm going to keep repeating it so that people understand the levity of what I'm trying to say. You better start getting on board with this season and really appreciating it. I, I don't care how much you hate the Yankees. I don't care how much you, for some reason, <laughs> that I am not in knowledge of, would hate Aaron Judge. I don't care. If you care about baseball even a little bit, you had better start appreciating what you are witnessing with your own eyes and what you will be fortunate enough to tell your grandchildren about one day. Truly once in a lifetime stuff. This is a generational talent, maybe even more so than that. This is unbelievable what we are witnessing. And if you want to talk about it in the spectrum of baseball overall, 
I mean, what a great time for the sport to have Aaron Judge amidst this chase, to have Pujols two home runs away now from 700. These are both things that we may not see for at least another half a century. Maybe. I want people to come to terms with that as best as they can. Enjoy what you're, witness, what you're witnessing, people. Aside from what your personal feelings may be with either of these players or the organizations they play for, I don't care. It's truly unbelievable. And you should be appreciating it. And anyone who wants to badmouth it at all or try to downplay it, don't even listen to it. Don't give it any attention. I know how hard that is to do, and because even I feel the need to entertain it sometimes, it's hard to ignore. But we know the truth, and anybody who truly knows what they're talking about knows the truth. And quite frankly, and quite simply put, anybody who just isn't straight up in denial of reality knows the truth. That Aaron Judge is the MVP, that he is the best player in baseball, And that's just it. There's nothing else to say. I don't care if he can't pitch. I don't care. I I literally don't care at all. And neither should anybody else. I don't care who you're a fan of. This is unbiased. This is objective. It's time to stop acting like a clown if you think otherwise. This is not Yankee bias. It's not. I promise you it's not. There is no such thing when it comes to this. It is objectively the truth. And if you don't want to accept that, you are in denial or you don't know what you're talking about. Or both. And that's just the fact of the matter. And if you don't like me saying that, then tune out of the show and stop following me on social medias. Because I'm going to tell you the truth and that is the truth. Okay? I'm done with listening to the Otani clowns, the Otani fanboys. Can he pitch? No one cares. No one cares other than you. I promise. Nobody cares aside from you and the rest of the other biased Angel fans. No one cares. Is what Otani doing incredible? Yes. Nobody's denying that. But is he the MVP? And is what he is doing more impressive than what Aaron Judge is doing? It is not. I'm sorry. I don't care if Aaron Judge doesn't pitch. I don't care if what we're seeing out of Otani hasn't been seen since Babe Ruth. I'm sorry, I don't care. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if that's really harsh. I'm sorry if you see me as a Yankee boy. I don't really care. I don't care. I don't know how else to put it. I just felt the need to go on that tirade because of Judge's epic chase continuing towards Babe Ruth and Roger Maris, his triple crown watch. His continued accomplishments that just seem to have no end in sight with, again, 16 games still to play. And that's that. And again, all of it happening amidst a prove-it contract year. Oh, and also, because I know this is a subject with Roger Maris, at least, through the years, it it was a big controversy because... Roger Maris took beyond 154 games to pass Babe Ruth's previous single-season home run record of 60. And that was held for a while, up until Roger Maris broke it. So, obviously back in the day when Babe Ruth was playing, a season was 154 games long. When Roger Maris was playing, it had gotten to 162 by then, which is obviously where we are now. 
But Roger took more than 154 to pass him. So there's always a controversy there. Like, oh, if Babe had another week, week and a half, then who knows what he could have done. Well, Aaron Judge is about to put that controversy to bed really quickly. Because even if you want to go by the 154 for Babe Ruth, he is still only two away from breaking Babe Ruth's record with eight games still to go. So chances are he's going to be doing that as well. And after he passes Roger Maris, he's just the undisputed American League single-season home run champion. And if you just... It depends on how you feel about it. If you want to count Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, and all of them, then not quite if he doesn't reach them. But if you don't count them because they juiced, then he is just playing out the single-season home run champion in Major League Baseball history without any controversy based on how many games a player from way back in the day played. He will put that to bed officially by doing it all by game 154. So just a little side comment about that as well based on the Babe Ruth and Roger Maris controversy that has existed for over 60 years since Roger Maris passed Babe Ruth in 162. So that's your your latest update on Aaron Judge's chase and the absolutely historic once-in-a-lifetime season that he continues to have. And honestly, by the time we speak next week, I'd be surprised if he is not already at or past Roger Maris by the time we talk next Sunday. Actually, like I said before, it'd probably be just by Friday. Honestly, even though it's only five days away, I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't put it past him to hit home run 60 and possibly home run number 61 by the time Friday comes around and I record next. I'll probably be recording during Friday night's game against Boston, so who knows? Wouldn't that that be freaking awesome if that happens during Yapping Yankees? Oh my god. (laughs) You might actually witness your first ever broken microphone in the middle of a broadcast of any kind. (laughs) Oh my gosh. So that's that. Aaron Judge's chase, man. There's really... There's little more you could say about it. (laughs) It is absolutely incredible. When talking about this past week, though, how about we hit on some news, and then we'll talk about what happened games-wise this past week in Weekly Recap. And later on at the end of the show, I got a Q&A for you this week, so we'll tackle that as well. But honestly, for most of the week outside of today, it was kind of a quiet news week, really, to be honest. A couple of nights ago, really... The real news started here just a couple of nights ago. Not really anything worth talking about that we didn't already hit on late last Sunday happened this past week. So really the only news to tackle was that a couple of nights ago, just some injury news, Trevino, Jose Trevino, had a foul ball while catching, hit his knee, and he got a contusion. So he's, they're just kind of riding him day to day, and he's still around. But uh, no IL stint for him. And Marvin Gonzalez, this one is really... Uh, He's had himself an odd weekend, man. (laughs) He left Friday night's game with an illness, just left the game. Just must have not been feeling good. He was back in there on Saturday. And then something happened that I don't want to say for sure I've never seen before, but if I have seen it before, then it's been a while. (laughs) But the Brewers catcher in, in yesterday's game, Victor Caratini, Marwin was at the plate, and Caratini had the ball after catching a pitch, and he was getting ready to throw it back to the mound. And I, I, I guess Marwin might have been too close to him, or Caratini was too close to Marwin. I, 
I don't really even know how this could have happened. But Caratini wound up the throw back and he straight up drilled Marwin on the side of the head. And Marwin was in a lot of pain, of course. He just had a baseball straight up chucked at his head. And the release point of the throw was right next to his head. It was right behind the plate. And the throw, right after it left his hand, Caratini's hand, went right into Marwin's head. So Marwin obviously left the game after that. And after that happened, Oswaldo Cabrera, who had been taking some reps at first base, had to go to first base and play there. Down to their fourth string first baseman, which at this point... I was just saying, my God, Rizzo's got to hurry up. I know he's going to be back next weekend, but he's got to, he's got to hurry because, I mean, they're down to their fourth string first baseman here. I mean, this is getting bad. And Oswaldo never even really played first before this. I, I believed he could because he's that talented, that, that talented of a kid. I was sure that he could pick it up and, you know, do his thing. And he did fine. But, I mean, they just, they need somebody back because DJ's still out dealing with his toe. Rizzo had been out because of, his, because of his back and then the headaches from the epidural and then getting that injection for the headaches and just waiting for it to clear up after that. So he's been out and then now this happened to Marwin. So they're just losing everybody that could play first base. <laughs> so They just need Rizzo back and he did come back today, thankfully, and he made his presence known, which I love. First day back, three for six, two hits, a home run. Things you love to see, man, but... Yeah, a lot of weird stuff happening to Marwin this weekend. So hopefully he ends up being okay. I mean, on the field, of course, nobody really has much use for him. Doesn't Hasn't really contributed much. Hasn't played a lot this year on the huge scale of things, on the overall scale of things. But obviously you don't want to see that happen to anybody. Get drilled in the freaking head with a baseball <laughs> at any capacity. So yeah, a lot of weird stuff happening to Marwin this weekend in Milwaukee. Also, in case I forgot to mention it, they did reactivate Chapman off the injured list, and in turn, they DFA'd Weber again. I mean, this poor freaking kid. I mean, he does well when they bring him back every time, and he just keeps on getting DFA'd. (laughs) So it's really weird. So, yeah, Chapman off the injured list. He's back, and poor Weber DFA'd again. (laughs) I mean, he might just be outright at the AAA again and then bring him back up eventually to DFA him again eventually. <laughs> I don't know, but it's just really weird. So, Chapman reinstated, Weber DFA'd again. And really, most of the news, like I said, really comes from today. Anthony Rizzo is back, made his presence known. And in turn, they did have to send down Floreal. I mean, that's not really had to, but that's the decision they made. So, Floreal down, Rizzo back. And Rizzo's return may be one of many that we see this coming week because we also today got some more official updates on our impending returns, our reinforcements. Bader and Severino, they're expected to be activated this week. Bader is said to be on Tuesday and Severino is said to be pitching on Wednesday. So I am amped for that. Severino hopefully can get some starts in before the playoffs and be a help there, provide some pitching reinforcements. And Bader, I mean, not only am I just anxious to find out what it truly was that we got back in that Montgomery trade, seeing how he can contribute, but I am also just thrilled that there's a very good chance that we may see little to none 
hopefully none, of Aaron Hicks anymore once Bader is here and we see what he's got. Because, I mean, he's known for good center field defense. He's known to have some pretty big offensive moments here and there. And they say he's doing very good down in his rehab assignments right now in the minors, and he's ready to go. He's amped, so so am I. (laughs) So I'm looking forward to seeing what he's got in the last couple of weeks of the season here as we head into the playoffs. And Severino, like I said, pitching reinforcements. He's been out a while, a couple of months, so you hope that he can come back and contribute. Obviously an electric arm just as long as he freaking stays healthy, man. That's, uh... That's has been his main issue, hasn't it? Britain's rehabbing is also continuing. Abreu and Scott Efros are rehabbing. Abreu's in double-A in right now, and Efros is in triple-A. Honestly, Abreu can stay down there. <laughs> Let's just get Efros back. That's, that's the thing that I really care about. And it could be as soon as Wednesday for him as well. So, that's three people, like I said. Rizzo may be just one of many to return this week. You got Bader, Severino, and possibly Efros within the next three days. Three guys within the next three days. That's pretty cool. Even Steven Ridings, by the way. Yeah, he still exists. He's rehabbing down in double-A right now as well. So, I mean, who knows if he could possibly play a part. Who, who knows what could happen. Anything's possible. So, lots of people rehabbing, trying to fight their way back. Some closer than others, of course, but people are trying Unfortunately, not much on guys like Benintendi and Carpenter. I believe Carpenter is going to be reevaluated again sometime soon, but I don't know about him, man. I miss him to death, but I I don't know if he's going to make his way back. Same with Benintendi. I mean, Benintendi expressed some optimism about making it back like legit in like the last couple of days of the season, maybe. I think that's like the earliest based on his surgery recovery time. But I don't know, man. I mean, we'll get more and more updates on them as time continues, of course, and the end of the season gets closer and closer. But I don't know, man. Uh, I don't know. We'll see if there are more updates throughout the rest of this week. But I do not know. But those are the remaining names that we are waiting on to return. That is the latest on them. So in the next three or four days, expect quite a few returns and quite a few roster moves after that to make sure that they can return. Got to get some roster room over here, and that maybe, that not maybe, definitely includes some 40-man moves as well, because certain guys are coming off the 60-day IL, you're bringing Bader and Sevy off the 60-day IL, so that's big, if and when Britain returns, you're bringing him off the 60-day IL, so you got to make some moves here, going to be very, very interesting to see what they do, and one last thing, I don't want to forget this as well, This is definitely important, but after his latest start, yet another, just, I mean, just a bad start. This has just been his story. Frankie Montes, I'm speaking about. I mean, in his eight starts as a Yankee, in five of them, he's allowed four or more earned runs, and he had yet another bad start to start the series in Milwaukee after being given a five to nothing early lead. Didn't even make it through four innings. It's becoming a bit of a problem now. Once you approach double-digit starts and you've only had maybe a couple of respectable starts and the rest of them have been borderline train wrecks or maybe even full-on train wrecks, I mean, people are well within their right to start questioning. I mean, is this was this a good move? I mean, he's just stinking up the joint. Is there something wrong with him? I mean, maybe this latest news could 
bring some validity to that. People saying there's got to be something wrong with him because after the game on Friday, Montes said that he was feeling something in his shoulder, per se. So they took him for an MRI, and apparently the Yankees have those MRI results back, but nothing's been revealed yet, really. So I guess the Yankees have the MRI information, but they're still deciding on what to do about him. I assume we're going to be getting an update on this maybe tomorrow? I don't really know. I mean, maybe by later tonight there could be a chance. Who knows? But they're still, we're still in public waiting for an update on this and what they're going to do with him. Obviously, when Montes came over here, if you remember, not only did he suffer a family loss, but he was dealing with shoulder problems, shoulder inflammation. And now he felt something in the shoulder again, and now MRI results on it have come back, and it seems like the Yankees are deciding what to do. So I don't know what the deal is going to be here, man. Uh, it's rough. This is a guy that you expected to take the ball after Garrett Cole, or maybe even after Nestor. And not only is he completely just stunk, he's had a couple of good starts, but I mean, it just hasn't worked out so far. The The guy has not been a good pitcher here. It just has not been good. It's been really a big disappointment. And I pulled hard for him. I pulled hard for the Yankees getting him, especially after the Castillo news came out. I really wanted him to get him, so I'll own up to that. I mean, <laughs> I don't really know what you want me to say. It was a good trade at the time. He had great numbers, and he was obviously the next best target after Luis Castillo. I know people want to talk about the mess that went down with Pablo Lopez with the with the Marlins, even when it was reported afterwards that there was a deal involving Glaber Torres just on the verge of going down and then apparently didn't at the last minute. But, I mean, Montes was really the, la- the, the next best target after... Luis Castillo. So, I, as much as I want to be like, oh yeah, you know, it's a, that's on all of us who believed it. I mean, we had right to believe it. Look at the numbers at the time, and I don't know. I don't know what to say. Really baffled with it. We'll see what the MRI on his shoulder says, but it's really just unfortunate what's happened with him. He has been very disappointing so far. But as far as on an injury standpoint, I, I don't. I obviously hope that he's not badly hurt. I hope he's not hurt at all. The Yankees need as much pitching as they could get. But, I mean, he has even made some people question as to whether or not he should even get the ball in the playoffs. I mean, that's how bad he's been. I mean, on Friday, y- your team gives you a 5 nothing lead, and you can't even make it through four innings? Come on, man. Come on. That- that's just, that's crap. That's crap. <sighs> so that's that. That's really all the news from this past week, guys. So, again, a lot of it coming just within the last couple of days. The first half of the week, there's really nothing news-wise. I was thinking in the first half of the week while thinking of yapping Yankees this week, and I was like, this is going to be a short news segment, <laughs> but yeah, some things happened. So what do you say we now move on to weekly recap and discuss what happened this past week? It was a shorter week, like I had said last Sunday when talking about the upcoming week. Only two games in Boston. And then today just wrapped up the three games set in Milwaukee. So only five games to recap, including today. So let's get to it. Yapping Yankees time machine. Let's talk about this past week. Let's go.
All right, peeps, weekly recap time. We begin on Tuesday already because we already talked about last Sunday last week, obviously. They were off on Monday. They had multiple off days this past week, so an easier week for the Yankees, just game scheduling-wise. So they start on Tuesday with a two-game set in Boston. And before this series started, even at the end of last week's episode, I was saying I just hope they smack Boston around I mean, with the division as close as it is with this, you know, past week, past two weeks, past three weeks, just watching Tampa Bay and watching Toronto, who's now closer than Tampa at this point in time, obviously. Yankees were fortunately able to gain a game on them after today's win in Milwaukee. But anyway, just important to grab as many games as you can, and especially against the really bad teams. You just got to take the games. You have to. Smack them around a little bit. They fortunately did get the win on Tuesday and Wednesday, obviously, but... Tuesday was definitely not because of them smacking them around. As a matter of fact, Tuesday's game was freaking nuts (laughs) because it took extra innings for the Yankees to pull it off. And Garrett Cole's on the mound, and we were talking about how Garrett Cole has his clunkers, just really not really good games when the Yankees need him to come in clutch a few times this year. It's been a bit of a theme, whether you like Garrett Cole or not. And there are times, you know, I, I like Garrett Cole as much as the next guy, but There have been plenty of times throughout this year where it gets pretty hard to defend him. He just doesn't come through the way that he should. So, he started this game, and unfortunately his struggles at Fenway Park would continue. And we know Garrett Cole has struggled at Fenway Park in the past. Every Yankee fan's nightmare is flashing back to last year's wildcard game, of course, first and foremost. But Garrett has had troubles at Fenway Park for his entire career. It's just not a place that he likes to pitch, clearly. And again, on Tuesday night, it would be yet another example of that. Six innings pitched, four earned runs. He did strike out 10, but he even walked a couple of guys. Just not not a great start. Not great. Fortunately, the offense had his back, though. They kept on coming back over and over and over again for Garrett. I mean... Red Sox struck first in a two-run shot to make it 2 to nothing in the second inning. Then in the top of the third, I mean... Want to talk about an unlikely candidate to tie the game at two with a two-run homer? Marwin Gonzalez <laughs> with his fifth home run of the year. That made it 2-2. Two to two. Bottom of the third, right away, Garrett gives the run right back on a solo shot by Reese McGuire. Top of the sixth, Aaron Judge. <laughs> Gonna be hearing a lot of this. Had himself a hell of a week yet again. <laughs> 56th home run, a solo shot the opposite way. Tied the game at three. Bottom of the sixth, again, giving it right back. Garrett Cole gives up a home run to Xander Bogarts. Makes it 4-3 to three Boston, but then in the top of the eighth to save the day again with a, another multi-home run game. Another solo shot is 57th home run of the year. A towering shot over the monster wall. Tied the game at four from none other than Aaron Judge. So, two home runs in a game, another multi-homer game for him. This was his 10th of the season. Obviously, today, the final game in Milwaukee was another multi-home run game, his 11th. Really crazy. I mean, he's tied for the most, by the way. I should mention this stat. This was posted. He's tied for the most multi-home run games in a season in Major League Baseball history. The only others to have done it were Hank Greenberg in 1938 and Sammy Sosa, who we all know did steroids, in 1998. So he's, like I've said, in, in any stat, just about any offensive stat you want to pull out, Aaron Judge is in very rare and elite company. 
<laughs> that's just the way that it is. So, the game would remain tied at four, and it would head into extras. Fortunately, the bullpen, after Garrett Cole, did a stellar job. Litke got two outs without allowing a run. Trevino got an out. Luizaga, scoreless inning. Unfortunately, Clay Holmes <laughs> would uh, let things fall apart a little bit <laughs> in the bottom of the 10th later on. And then Wandy Peralta would have to come in to finish the job for him, get the last two outs of the game, because Clay Holmes just continues to be broken. But the game would remain tied until the 10th inning, where the Yankees would get on the board in the top of the 10th on a three-run double by Glaber Torres. And I have to say this. I have to say this. And I've rightfully been hard on him for the vast majority of the second half, up until about a week or two ago, because, I mean, it was true. He was a dreadful hitter before this last week or two in Glaber Torres. But Glaber, the last week or two, has really shown a lot of signs of waking up, a lot of hitting the ball to dead center the other, the opposite way. And when he hits the ball the other way, that is a big sign that he is finding his swing. It's been happening frequently again. And it's a really, really good thing to see because if there was ever a time for Glaber to make an impact, it's in a time where the team really needs as much help as they can get because they're missing a lot of guys due to injury or there may be other just certain guys in the lineup not performing up to par. That is when you make your name shine. That's when you do that. And you could win a lot of people back that way. You really could. And he has been. So that's good to see from Glaber, and here a humongous hit, a three-run double made at 7-4 Yankees, bottom of the 10th, that's when we all had our heart attack from Clay Holmes, the Red Sox would put up one run on an Alex Verdugo RBI single, he just always seems to come through against the Yankees in a big spot, it's really irritating, <laughs> that made it 7-5, to five. and then later on when Wandy Peralta took over for him, he threw a wild pitch, so... And that allowed a run to score, made it 7-6. to six. All of us on the edge of our seats, about to just go into cardiac arrest fully. Fortunately, Wandy Peralta got the last out. Yankees won 7-6, a crazy first game in Boston. Wednesday came around. Yankees trying to take a little quick two-game sweep in Boston behind the main man, Nestor Cortez. And Nestor had himself a fine start. Five innings, only one run allowed. Only three hits, seven strikeouts, did walk a couple. But had himself a very nice outing for the short time he was in. Got his 10th win of the year. Clark Schmidt came in afterwards. Pitched two shutouts. Stellar innings striking out three. Luizaga came in for the bottom of the eighth. Only allowed one run in one inning. He's still done a terrific job overall. So, of course, you're going to have your occasional nights where you're not completely sharp. That's fine. And Clay Holmes came in in the bottom of the ninth. Of course, he allowed a run, because why not? But nonetheless, he would earn the save, his 20th of the season at the time. The Yankee offense, well, they got off to a hot start right away, and they never really looked back. They didn't really let the Red Sox get too close to them at any point. Top of the fifth, things started out quietly, so it took until the fifth inning for them to score, but in the top of the fifth, Glaber Torres again... He got an RBI, I'll call it an RBI single because that's really all it should have been, but the Yankees definitely had help from the Red Sox defense on this night. Yankees probably should have scored more than they did, especially in the first few innings, but listen, I'll take runs however I can get them, I always say that, but his run is on first and second two outs. Glaber Torres gets a hit to right field, throw comes home from right field, catcher gets it at the plate being Connor Wong. And he tries to get Glaber out at first again because I guess he rounded the base too much. 
and he just airmails the throw down the right field line. <laughs> it bounces off the little wall, and it just trickles into right field. And in that time, <laughs> Hicks came around to score, Judge came around to score, and Glaber himself came around to score. So technically just an RBI single, that's all it should have been, but just clown show Red Sox defense allowed it to be a Little League three-run homer. So that made it 3 to nothing. Yankees. Really funny to see. Bottom of the fifth, the one run that Nestor gave up was given back Connor Wong. I guess he somewhat made up for his throwing blunder. <laughs> Got an RBI double, made it 3-1, to one, but that's all they would let the Red Sox score at the time. Top of the sixth, Trevino would get that run right back on an RBI double. That made it 4-1. to one. And then in the bottom of the eighth, on a fielding mistake by Marwin Gonzalez down at first, which is why it's very important that you have Rizzo and or DJ there, because Marwin is playing a position he's not really great at. And it came back to bite in this inning. He was forced to play there, but the fact of the matter is, not his primary position. Even though his versatility is great, there are other places I would rather him play if he had to, rather than first base. I prefer he not play at all, but you understand what I mean. But he allowed Rafael Devers to reach on a fielding error down at first base, just booted a ball. That made it 4-2. to Fortunately, the Yankees were able to escape the inning. So, Loisaga was in at that point, and he, just, he did get bitten by some bad defense. Top of the ninth, another fielding mistake. <laughs> just a real mess. Combined four errors on the night, three of them by Boston. Abraham Almonte in center field just botched a deep fly ball. I'll give him that. It was a deep fly ball by Glaber, but... And it was a generous, I mean, I really would have probably called it a hit. I mean, it was straight up in and out of his glove, but kind of a tough play to make. But I don't have a problem with it being called an error. Either way, it could have gone either way for me, I guess. But they called it an error on a deep Glaber fly ball. He dropped the ball, even though it was right up, right up against the wall, and he tried to make a jump for it. It was, it was a mess. Tim LaCastro came home to score. That made it 5-2. The Red Sox did get a run off Clay Holmes, as I mentioned, in the bottom of the ninth on a Kike Hernandez RBI ground out, but that would make it 5-3. to three. They wouldn't score any more. Fortunately, Clay held them there, and the Yankees would win by a final of 5-3, to three, sweeping the two-game set at Fenway Park and taking care of the Red Sox as they should. Thursday came around, off day. So two off days in a week for the Yankees. Friday came around, and here came the three-game set that just wrapped up in Milwaukee. First game on Friday was pretty bad. <laughs> like I did say before when talking about Frankie Montes, him not being able to make it through even four innings when his team gave him a five-run lead in the first two innings. That is what happened. Got right off to it. To start with, on top of the first, the Yankee offense got right down to business. Josh Donaldson sack fly, 1-0. IKF, RBI single, 2-0. Marvin Gonzalez even, RBI single, 3-0. And the top of the second, Josh Donaldson grounded into a force out. Aaron Hicks scored, and then Judge scored on a throwing error by Colton Wong at second. So that made it 5 to nothing. Even with a little help by Brewers defense, doesn't matter, up 5 nothing. You are given a 5 nothing lead if you're Frankie Montas. And what does he do? He goes out there. Pitches three and a third, gives up four hits, four runs, four walks. He walks four guys, only strikes out two. Gives up a three-run bomb to Willie Adamas. And then when he was still in the fourth inning, 
He allowed Garrett Mitchell to reach base. He would score on a RBI ground rule double by Willie Adamas. Again, Adamas just killed them this weekend. And that run was charged to Montes as well. So four runs on the night. Couldn't even make it through four innings when given that early lead. And there's a lot of blame to go around in this game, for sure. The offense did go quiet in the middle of the game. Clay Holmes stinks. Lucas Lickie didn't come in and do the best of jobs after coming in for Montes. He just gave up those tying run, that tying run. And on that RBI ground rule double by Adamas. So he didn't do his job. Everyone else in the middle really did. Weissert got an out. Herman pitched score, a scoreless inning in two-thirds. Peralta came in and got an out. Trevino had a perfect inning. Loisaga gave up one run, but it wasn't earned because of crappy defense in the eighth inning. So you could also attribute some of it to bad defense in the eighth inning, not turning necessary double plays, IKF making another fielding mistake. So there's a lot of blame to go around. But it's got to come mainly to Montes. Your team gave you a 5 nothing lead, dude, and you're going to go out there and not throw strikes and just completely just screw them over? Not even make it through four innings? I mean, again, the shoulder issues could explain something, possibly, but it doesn't change the fact of how disappointing he's been as a Yankee so far. It's just, it's unfortunate. So, yeah, he would give up that three-run shot to Adamas after all that, and then after Litke came in, he just, he just fell apart. Uh, he gave up the fourth run to the Brewers on the RBI ground rule double, and then gave up the tying runs, my bad, to Rowdy Telez after that on the sack fly. That's what tied the game. But my point was Lucas Lipke came in, didn't help anything, and allowed the fourth run and then the tying run to score later. So neither of them did their jobs, really. And Lipke's been much better for the last few months, no doubt about it. But, I mean, he didn't come through there. Been slipping up a little bit lately there, too. Bottom of the eighth, the Brewers took the lead on that booted ball that I told you about earlier by IKF. Just really bad defense in the eighth inning. Luizaga got screwed over by some there. So that made it 6-5. to five. The offense didn't go quietly, though, because in the top of the ninth, Donaldson, with his 14th home run of the year, hit a solo shot. It's a big home run right there. I'll give it to him. Tied the game at 6. So now Clay Holmes comes in in the bottom of the ninth and just has to take the game to extra innings so the offense can have another shot. But he does quite the opposite of that because he just fell apart again. Uh, this man is broken. I, you know, a lot of people on the broadcast are talking about the Yankees having to correct Clay Holmes because they don't really have a definitive closer. And they're tr- and that's true. They have to correct him. It would be a big deal if he was corrected. The Yankees do not have a definitive closer. This is all true. But I'm not quite sure there's any fixing to this guy. I mean, ever since that Reds game a couple of months ago, the guy has been broken. It's not explainable. It's crazy. He's had a couple of games since he got back from the I.L. where he was looking a bit better. But, I mean, dude. (laughs) Come on. It's just awful. He can't locate. The slider is a disgrace. He just buries the, the sinker most of the time. He can't locate. And when he does, he gets hit hard. So I'm just not sure if there's... Much of fixing for him. You keep throwing him out there and trying it out, and if he does, hey, nobody will be happier than me. But he's just been a mess. I mean, Renfro opened the inning with a, with a double. Ground ball by Wong, advanced into third. He walks McCutcheon, strikes out Jace Peterson, walks Caratini, and then gives up a hit to Garrett Mitchell. 
And Garrett Mitchell, you know, he only has a few dozen at-bats, but he's not doing well. And you give up a game-winning single to him? Of all people? You want to give it up to Adamus or or Telez or Yelich even, even though he's not having a great season as per usual. You know, it's fine, whatever. But to him, of all people, and the trouble he got himself into in that ninth inning, which is a frequent occurrence for him. And it also, by the way, didn't help the Yankees at the top of the ninth. Miguel Andujar, who has continued to have brutal at-bats for the most part, yes. But he just straight up had the bat taken out of his hands on a strike-three call that wasn't even close to being a strike in a big situation in the top of the ninth where the Yankees could have added on more runs after Donaldson's solo shot. And he got screwed at the plate by the umpire, another umpire who belongs on the unemployment line. And nothing amounted to anything after that. And then Clay Holmes did his thing in the ninth inning. So just a really irritating game that the Yankees very well could have won and and arguably should have won. And it would have been nice if they won because then today's win, they would have taken the series. Saturday's game kind of went how I expected it to, though, because Woodruff was on the mound and, of course, Woodruff is... Pretty good. <laughs> he ended up pitching eight innings of just one run ball, striking out ten, only giving up five hits, only walking one. So he did what was expected. And on the mound for the Yankees was Jameson Tyone, who again did not have a great start, only going five innings, allowing four hits, four runs, walked two guys, only struck out four. The big blow, of course, coming off the bat of again, Willie Adamas in the bottom of the third on a three-run shot, his 30th home run of the year. In the top of the fourth, the only run that the Yankees got was on another solo shot by Donaldson. It made it 3-1 to one at the time, his 15th of the year. And then in the bottom of the fifth, Christian Yelich got an RBI double to make it 4-1. to one, And that would be the final, guys. Nothing really after that, you know? I mean, Tyone gave up all four. Weissert pitched a scoreless inning. Chapman pitched a scoreless inning. Marinaccio pitched a scoreless inning. It was mainly just Tyone just giving up the big three-run homer in the third. Another run being allowed in the fifth by Tyone on the Christian Yelich RBI double. And the offense outside of Donaldson's solo shot really not doing much of anything. So that's that's really that. And then today's game, oh my god, the chaos of today's game, the 12-8 to final. Like I said before, Garrett Cole just not doing his job again. Five innings only. And he has taken initiative, especially when the Yankees need innings and length. He'll throw 110, 120 pitches. He's done it a few times this year and go extra and push himself extra. And I appreciate that. Those are the nights where he tends to have more. But again, back to the inconsistency. You're either getting a godly start out of him or you're getting just a bad one where he doesn't do his job. He just doesn't do well, especially when you need it, when you need him to play stopper, when you need him to stop the bleeding, when you need him to be an ace. And you could usually tell towards the beginning when he doesn't have it. From body language, from location, just a bunch of different things. And I could tell earlier in the game today, even before he gave up the three-run shot to Colton Wong in the first game, before that, after his first walk, I even tweeted on Twitter, you could even go look, at Mike Scudero, go check it out. I said, Garrett doesn't have it today. And then after that walk to Adamus, he would later walk Renfro, and the way that he walked him, I was like, it's just not going to go well. And then Colton Wong hit a freaking nuke. So you could just tell. You really could. So there was that blow, and then in the bottom of the second, he gave up another home run to Taylor, a solo shot. So 
And he just really got into some trouble throughout his start. Not ideal. But fortunately for him, and this does happen sometimes, you know, sometimes the offense just bails out the pitcher, part of the game. The offense did not give in. So Garrett did give up that three-run homer in the first inning. But then Oswaldo Cabrera took initiative to get the Yankees on the board with his second home run of his career and of the season so far. A solo shot to dead center, a good shot, like really, really good on, a, on an off-speed pitch, a changeup, and he just tanked it to dead center. Really respectable there. So made it 3-1, to one, and that's when Garrett gave that run right back to Taylor in the bottom of the second on a solo shot, made it 4-1. to one. But then the Yankees came stampeding through, and they never looked back, mainly from their man, who else? Aaron Judge, who had four RBIs on the day. <laughs> So he would start things off after that. He would start the hitting parade with his 58th home run of the year, an opposite field. Freaking, I don't even know what to talk. I don't even know what to call it anymore. <laughs> it was a shot. <laughs> so a solo shot the other way, 58th of the year, made it 4-2. to two. Then Anthony Rizzo, right after him, a solo shot, another back-to-back home run example. The Yankees are approaching historic numbers with that too. Back-to-back home runs this year. I think they're tied for fourth in history with back-to-back home runs. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> like, You consider how tough things have been throughout the second half of the 2022 season for the Yankees, but then you also look at all the crazy stats and just unique situations, like all-time numbers that this team is putting up still. It's really, it's jarring. It's crazy. So Anthony Rizzo would go deep, and he really went down to get it. Another changeup, and he just went down for it and just hit it into the right field seats. A solo shot for him, his 31st home run of the year. He has over 30 home runs. Imagine if he hasn't missed any time due to injury with his back problems. Imagine. He could have in the mid-30s in home runs by now. Second on the team behind Judge. I mean, that's a big deal, and that's why it's so good to have him back. Rizzo's very important to the team offensively, defensively, clubhouse-wise, all around. So I was thrilled to get him back today, and even more thrilled to see that he was three for his first three in today's game. So that made it 4-3 to three with his solo shot, a hell of a return for Anthony Rizzo. Like I said, he came back prepared. So they would leave it at 4-3 to three for a couple of innings, and then in the top of the fifth, this is when the Yankees took control. Bases were loaded, Giancarlo Stanton steps to the plate, and I was really nervous just... Praying that a double play wouldn't come in here, just hitting a ground ball and the way that he's moving right now. I mean, it would just be a, a routine given double play on any ground ball. So I was just praying that that wouldn't be the case. But fortunately, he hit a rocket down the third base. Couldn't really be handled by Arias. And then it just ended up being a uh, rough recovery for Arias because he tried to get up and then try to recover the ball and try to throw it a second to get somebody, but no outs were made. So... Fortunately there, that ended up tying the game at four. And then after that, it just continued on. Like I had also said, Oswaldo Cabrera had himself a hell of a game. After that solo shot earlier in the game, on a broken bat, he hit a very slow ground ball, probably in the best place you could hit it. Opposite field, right through the right field hole. Nobody was able to get to it. That drove in another run to make it five to four. So Cabrera coming through again. And then after that, even Kyle Higashioka who's been forced to play more in the last couple of days because of what happened with Trevino a couple of days ago at the foul ball. Even he got in on it. That's when you know. <laughs> Two-run single up the middle for him. That made it 7-4. to four. And the top of the seventh, they would keep going. 
on a ground out by Higashioka. He was able to drive home Oswaldo Cabrera to make it 8-4. to four. Even Aaron Hicks, I mean, you want to talk about it being like, oh, that's when you know with Higashioka getting in on it. How about when Aaron Hicks gets in on it? That's when you know even more. Hits a solo shot. Just his seventh of the year, but that made it 9-4. to four. Good for tacking on another insurance run, which again, the Yankees have not been able to do that much this year overall, especially not in the second half, I should say. But he was able to help with that, 9-4. to four. And then, not only was it yet another example of back-to-back home runs, but it was another example of yet just another Aaron Judge home run. Because this guy off Perdomo just... <laughs> Pitch right down the plate, and he did exactly what you think he would. <laughs> he hit it to Mars, pretty much, <laughs> and it was his 59th home run, his 11th multi-home run game after this. That made it 10-4, to four. it was a solo shot, and like I said earlier, he is now one off of Babe Ruth, two off of Roger Maris with 16 games still to play. And even if you want to do the 154 games, like with Babe Ruth, with the whole Ruth and Maris controversy, there's still eight games left until then for him to tie Ruth and then pass him. And then he, of course, has the rest of the season after that to do what he will with Roger Maris's record. But <laughs> it's just unbelievable. It really is. Later on in the game, in the bottom of the eighth, the Yankees did allow two more runs in the bottom of the eighth on a two-run shot by Rowdy Telez, and that was off of Clark Schmidt, who was in his third inning of work and had pitched terrifically before this, but seemed to just be running out of gas a little bit, so two in a third for him, and those two runs being all that he allowed, still striking out four, so that made it 10-6 to six at the time on that two-run shot. Top of the ninth... The Yankees were able to get Aaron Judge another plate appearance. Because in that top of the ninth, IKF managed to reach on a single, and they needed one more guy for Aaron Judge to get one more plate appearance at the top of the order. Aaron Hicks was at the plate, had one purpose in life there, one purpose. (laughs) And that was to ensure that the man after him got one more plate appearance. And he, by the grace of God, actually managed to do it on a single. So that brought Aaron Judge back up to the plate. And what does, what does Aaron Judge do? He hits a piss missile off the bat that looked for like for a split second. It could have maybe made it out for home run number 60. But it landed just a few feet in front of the wall. Hit too much on a little too much on a line. Didn't get under it quite enough. But I mean, if you're talking about in the case of Judge being like, ah, oh, it's just a two-run double. Well, that's when you know somebody's having a hell of a season. <laughs> just a two-run double. Some guys with how they hit would kill for a two-run double. But anyways, obviously still a big hit, an awesome hit to get there. Tacked on two more runs, which would help somewhat with the ninth inning potential nightmare afterwards. But he would also earn his 126th and 127th RBIs. <sighs> he has that many RBIs. And there's still 16 games left. Can you imagine? How many RBIs? Is he going to hit 140 RBIs? I wonder what you think. Let me know. Message me on social media, comment on the video if, if you're on YouTube at least, or on the podcast if you're listening on any of the other three platforms on Apple, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Let me know what you think. Very possible. He's definitely going to get over 130. Definitely. It's just a matter of where he's going to finish and, and if it'll be over 140 even, possibly. Which, again, just another stat to support that this is a once-in-a-lifetime season.
And the bottom of the ninth happened, like I told you, the the utter heart attack, potential nightmarish inning took place between Peralta and Clay Holmes that would ultimately see two Brewer runs scoring on a two-run ground rule double by Jace Peterson. That would make it 12-8, to eight, and that is the crazy final <laughs> score of the game. So the Yankees would thankfully salvage a game in Milwaukee and prevent the sweep. They didn't quite do it in the way that I thought it would. I would have hoped that it would have been a, in a game where the offense still did what they did, but in a game where, uh, where Cole really shoved and did a nice job. But yeah, the offense just had to go nuts. I'll take it however I can get it. A win is a win, people. So they salvaged a game, and also important because the Blue Jays happened to lose today in a nice comeback effort by the Orioles, by the way. So that was definitely good to see, an important game to win. The Rays did win, but the Blue Jays are just a bit closer right now, so even more important that they lose. So they were able to push into five and a half back, so that's definitely a good thing. And all good all around. It would have been nice if they won that first game and took the series, but what are you going to do? What is ahead for the next week before we move on to our Q&A? Tomorrow, the 19th on Monday, the Yankees have another off day. So in the last seven days, by the time tomorrow comes around, they'll have had three off days. Nice time to sort of just reset things, get guys back and give guys rest. Speaking of getting guys back on Tuesday, the 20th, on the day that Bader is set to be reactivated at least, the Yankees will be welcoming the Pirates to Yankee Stadium. I won't say to town because they're already in town. They just got done playing the Mets at City Field. So <laughs> 705 start time on Tuesday, the 20th. Yankees are saying that Nestor Cortez is going to be on the mound. A pitcher has not been announced for the Pirates yet. Again, 705 Eastern for that game. Also 705 on Wednesday, the last game of the brief two-game set in the Bronx. This is the game where guys like Severino are said to be activated. He's said to be pitching on Wednesday. Could be activated on Tuesday beforehand and then just pitch on Wednesday. They might wait to activate him on Wednesday when he's set to pitch. Who knows? We'll see what they officially decide to do with the roster. But he'll pitch on Wednesday against Ronzi Contreras. So that'll be a 7.05 start time as well. And Wednesday is also possibly set to be the day that Scott Efros again may return. So we'll keep our eyes on that. Then Thursday starts a weekend four-game set against the Red Sox. Just got done playing them. We're going to play them again, this time at Yankee Stadium. Thursday's game is at 7.15 Eastern. Friday is at 7.05 Eastern. And I'll probably that's the game where I'll probably be doing my next episode during to get it out early Saturday before I head out for the weekend, possibly, but most likely. Saturday's game will be at 105 Eastern, and Sunday's game will be an ESPN night special, I guess, considering it is a 708 Eastern game. And that begins the last, after that, that's the last full week of the season, guys. That's pretty nuts. <laughs> oh my god, we're that close to the end. I'm, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm not ready for baseball to leave me again. I'm really not. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to enjoy the rest of it from here on out. That's what I'm going to do. I've decided that. So that's the deal for Weekly Recap. That's what's ahead as far as this next week here. After we just got done with a pretty eventful past week of baseball, even though it was only five games to recap, including today, but still eventful nonetheless. Now this coming week, I expect some W's because 
Two games against the Pirates, that should be two easy wins. Should be really easy wins. I mean, come on. Gotta be. And then, even if they don't do it via smacking around, because no matter how bad the Yankees and or the Red Sox may be in a given season, Yankees and Red Sox games still manage to most of the time be a thrill. So, even if they don't do it via smacking around, I expect them to take care of the Red Sox again next weekend as well at the stadium. And by the time, possibly even by Friday when we speak again, or even if it's next Sunday when an episode would be out. But regardless, by the time next weekend comes around, I do expect Aaron Judge to be at or past 60 home runs. And by then, of course, there'll be a remarkable amount to talk about. I hope he does it by Friday so that I can hit on it by the time by the next time I record and not have to wait till the Sunday after. But even in that event, you know you can just always follow me on social media. I will more than likely still be bugging out just as much on there, so... Rest assured, there are other options. Now, to end the show, my friends, let us put a bow on this one after we do the Q&A. I figured it was time to give you guys the floor again. It's been a few weeks since the last Q&A, so why not? I'll read out 10 of them, I guess. Let's see here. The first one up for this week's Q&A is at Yankee Ken, and he asks, What's the Yankee postseason rotation? I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> well, if I had to guess, um, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, Montes would have been there, but I'm not even sure you give him the ball now, and it also depends on what's going on with his shoulder and how much time he's going to miss, if any. So that's that remains to be seen, which does complicate this question a little bit, but if it were up to me, I wouldn't even give him the ball. I would say Garrett Cole, Nestor Cortez, then probably Severino, and to be honest with you, as much as I don't like the guy personally, his pitching performance may have earned him a spot. I might put Herman at four. I might. So I guess that's my one through four. Obviously, the other option being Tyone would be a fifth, but I'd put Herman in before I put Tyone in, personally. I mean, that's just what I think. Um, so yeah, I guess Cole, Nestor, And hopefully, you know, Seve comes back and gets enough starts under his belt to the point where he can start. Yeah. And then, I guess if he doesn't, you're kind of going to be forced to put Montes in there if he is healthy. And then Herman. And if you're forced to, then I guess Tyone as well. But everything healthy, everything normal, what I would personally do, yeah. Cole, Cortez, Severino, Domingo Herman. I guess that'd be my one through four. Next, we have Rebecca at Peace Now for Life, and she asks, Hey, Mike. Hey, Rebecca. When players start coming back, what roster moves will be made? That's a good question. Well, like I said before, they are going to have to make some 40-man moves because some of the people coming back from injury, i.e. Bader and Seve, they were transferred to the 60-day, so you're going to have to clear a 40-man spot for them. Uh, As far as options to get off the roster, probably like DFAing, uh, there's some options. I would definitely say, well, t- for sending people down in general, as much as I would hate it, one of the first ones to go is probably going to be Peraza. I freaking hate that. <laughs> it, it should probably be someone like Miguel Andujar being the first one to go down. Uh, they could send LeCastro down. The first ones I would send down are Andujar and LeCastro. And then, after that, I'd probably just DFA Marwin, to be honest. Um, but I've been saying that for a while now. And then I guess after that, 
You'd probably have to send down Peraza. I don't know. Even though I, I really want that kid to stay here and get some more major league reps. I don't want Oswaldo Cabrera to go anywhere. I, I really don't. So I guess those names are, yeah, pretty much Andujar, Castro. Uh, they'll probably end up sending down Peraza at some point. Uh, Weissert could go back down. That's another possibility. So, yeah, and they could also, yeah, they could DFA Marwin. So, a- anything could happen, really. They would definitely have to clear up some spots, though, and a couple of 40 men. So, that would be, that'd be interesting to see how they, uh, how they do that. So, we'll see what happens. Those are some ideas as to just clearing some regular roster spots as to who they would open up for the 40 men. That's entirely different. We'll just have to wait and see for that. Up next, we have got at Dennis M one twelve three five eight, and Dennis asks, "Why did they collapse? It's like two different teams, first half versus second half." Well, I wouldn't call it a collapse as long as they still have first place. I mean, yeah, if you want to talk about their gameplay when you compare the first half to the second half, yeah, it's definitely uh, significantly different, to put it kindly. <laughs> so for sure. But I wouldn't refer to it as a collapse unless they officially blew the division, which is yet to happen and hopefully is yet to happen through to the end of the season. (laughs) That's what you hope for. So I wouldn't really call it a collapse until that happens. But I mean, it's a myriad of different things. When it first started off, it was the pitching finally coming back down to earth. They were just horrible. And then for most of the month of August, then the offense just disappeared more injuries started to happen. That certainly doesn't help. You lose Carpenter. You lost Rizzo for a bunch of games. You lost Stanton for a bunch of games. Vital pieces like Clay Holmes started to just perform extremely badly. And Clay Holmes was a top reliever in the game throughout the first three months, if you remember. Three, three and a half months. So, a lot of things just started to pile up on top of each other. DJ started to play hurt, so then his numbers started to look really, really bad. And it was to a point where the offense was so bad that Aaron Judge was literally the offense. And some days, even around now, he still is at times. So, just a lot of things started to pile up on top of each other and it just wasn't a good situation. Really wasn't. So, it's just a a bunch of different things. Now, it's basically just, you know, which aspect of the team is going to be doing good today. You know, it, it depends. But... Yeah, hopefully you just you just hope that in these last two and a half weeks or so they just finish strong and ride a hot streak through the playoffs because it's really just about who's hottest going into the playoffs. That's usually the one that has the most success. So I wouldn't call it a full-on collapse unless they've full-on blown the division because they haven't. But yeah, the alarming differences in gameplay are definitely just that alarming, <laughs> to say the least. So at TJT Whitting here says... How do you feel Cabrera's doing, and do you think they'll keep him around? I think he's doing a great job. (laughs) I have praised the hell out of him the last few weeks, month plus. So, I think he's especially done a terrific job defensively. He went into a deep slump offensively for a while, but a little bit before that and even since that slump, he's done quite a bit more with the bat, which I love. He had a great game today. I really love what he's doing. I really do, especially in positions that he hadn't even really played that much. you got to remember, Oswaldo Cabrera is primarily an infielder, an infield first. And he went to right field 
having had little to no experience out there, and he's playing gold glove-esque defense, robbing home runs, making unbelievable diving plays, running down balls, having great range, throwing tons of people out for a ton of outfield assists. I mean, it's crazy what he's done. Especially considering how short of a time he's been up for. It's just insane. So I love what he's doing. As far as if I think they'll keep him around, I certainly hope so. If you're asking me if I would, I absolutely freaking would. I do like what they're saying about them teaching him left field, which does make me think they do plan on keeping him around. So hopefully when Bader comes back, you can have Oswaldo playing some left field because Bader's going to take center field. And then Judge could slide back over to right because especially with how he still continues to look, I doubt that they're going to put Stanton back into the field. Who knows what's going on with Ben Nintendi, Carpenter. They're just, we're yet to get really definitive answers on those guys. So I think they're going to want Cabrera to play some left if that's possible. Get Bader in center field when he's ready in a couple of days and going forward, and slide Aaron Judge back over to right field. Even though Judge has played gold glove defense in center field all year long, as we know, he's played a lot more center than right this year, which is primary position is right field, at least in the past. So, I would definitely keep him around. As far as whether they will or won't, I hope they do. I think he's definitely proven that he could stay up here, at least right out the rest of the year. Next, we have at Musician DMD, my friend Spencer. And Spencer asks, having rebounded and extended their AL East lead and having secured and purchased my 2022 postseason tickets, very nice, Spencer, I've started to allow myself to believe the Yankees will win the division. For years now, I have my kids watch the final inning of playoff clinching games, then take a victory lap around their block dressed in Yankee gear. I love playoff clinchers because it instantly changes the complexion of the season from hoping to knowing that you'll play in October. How do you mark the occasion of when the Yankees clinch a playoff spot? Um, I usually go to bed very late because my adrenaline keeps me awake. <laughs> if I'm being really honest with you, that's really it. I scream a whole lot. I get very happy. I watch the entire post game. I watch them just gouging each other with champagne and going just absolutely ballistic as they deserve to. My adrenaline and excitement keeps me up late into the night, and I am in a very good mood the next day usually. That is typically what happens for playoff clinchers, especially when winning the division. But you know when it would be even nicer, though, and even more intense? With a World Series. Just saying. Up next is at Peep Farms, and they ask, any update on Matt Carpenter? Well, the latest I heard about him, and I'm pretty sure this is the last that anybody's really spoken about him at length, was that a few days ago that he was set to be reevaluated, I think, in maybe like a week or two. So maybe some point this week we'll get another update. But I think he's he's showing signs of healing, but I don't think it's going as quickly as they had hoped. And if that's the case, then I'm really not sure we're going to be seeing Carpenter back. I mean, the next update could prove to be totally different. Who knows? The healing process is complicated and varies from person to person. So, I don't know. Lord knows I miss him, though. But that's pretty much the latest from what we know. At Raf321 asks, are the Yankees really going to lose the division lead? Well, as of the last couple of weeks, it was definitely possible at basically any point, more or less. But especially with the win they got today in the final game against the Brewers, which is also very nice just... In general, heading into an off day and finishing off the series with a win, even if you lost the series, but it still has its positives when you win that final game and head into an off day. Helps with mentality and everything. Um, But I I especially think that 
today's win was important because Toronto, as I said last week, people were mentioning it in the social media segment, and, and I had said it myself, you can't sleep on Toronto either, especially because the Yankees do still have some head-to-head matchups against them going forward as well. And they are going to creep a bit closer, and they have in this past week. But that's why today's win was so important, because the Orioles managed to get a late-game comeback against Toronto, and they were able to notch a victory in Toronto today. So the Yankees, in their win against Milwaukee, were able to gain another game on them. So with 16 games left to play, the Yankees' lead is now 5.5 games over Toronto, the second-place team in the East. So that definitely helps things, and it helps to ease your mind a little bit. The Yankees have to take care of business this week. This is a big week. Got a couple of bad teams coming in, and the Pirates and the Red Sox, especially the Pirates. And you got to take care of business. I would say you got to sweep the Pirates, and you got to at least take three out of four against the Red Sox if you're not going to sweep them. At least. It's got to happen. So, because then after that, let's see the rest of the uh, of the schedule. I took a I took a look at it earlier today, but now I just forgot. So, starting the week after this coming week, yeah, that's their last matchup against the Blue Jays after that. They go to Toronto for Monday through Wednesday, the 26th through to the 28th. Those are the last times they're seeing the Blue Jays, but they have three more head-to-head matchups. And depending on where the standings are by then after this coming week, which is why I'm saying this coming week is so important, that series in Toronto could be very important. So, and then after that Toronto series, they have a day off. Then they have the Orioles for three over the weekend. And that's when they finish off with the Rangers. They have a four-game set for Monday through Wednesday because there's a doubleheader on Tuesday the 4th. And the season's over after that. It's the playoffs after that, my people. So, yeah, this is a very important week coming up where they have their last week pretty much of just facing just all bad teams and the Pirates and the Red Sox. Got to take advantage, especially after an off day tomorrow. Hit the reset button. You got a nice win today. Feeling good. Head into the week and kick some ass. So I'm not really... Right now, I'm feeling more confident in the division. I never said they would definitely blow it. I just said that if they did, it would definitely be one of the biggest regular season collapses in sports history, I think. <laughs> Which I, I don't think that was that far a stretch, considering they led this division at one point by about 15 and a half games. But it seems to be a lot more comfortable now, especially after a big win today in Milwaukee. That win was definitely good on a day that Toronto lost. Next is at Liquor Thinking, and they ask, is the lefty power hitting Austin Wells the future number one catcher? Well, for the Yankees, yeah, I would definitely say so. As far as baseball, I would have to look that over as far as baseball overall, but in the Yankee system, yeah, he definitely. Next is at RK Maybelline. It's weird. <laughs> and they ask... What are the chances Rizzo opts out this winter, and what would a hypothetical new extension look like? I don't know. Maybe he could opt out because he might look for more money because he's had a very nice season. I mean, over 30 home runs in a year where people didn't expect him to do all that much. He could, but he could just stick with it for the second year just because he wants to be here as well. So I guess there's a bit of a chance he opts out. I don't know. That's a really good question. They kind of have to see how the rest of the season goes. And it also, you know, depends how the Yankees do as a team, how far they go, what the rest of Rizzo's season looks like. It really depends. So it's kind of hard to answer right now. But if I had to answer that as of right now, I don't know. Because he's already making good money right now. He's making good money. 
I mean, if he feels that he would be deserving of more, then yeah, he would opt out and try to get a new contract. A new extension. Hmm. Like he said, he's got a good deal right now. Two years, 32. He's making $16 million each year. I guess at his age, because next year is going to be his age 33 season. So I, it's not that old, but I guess if he were to opt out, I'd probably maybe just try to sign him to two years and then, I don't know, maybe bump it up by a mil or two, I guess. But I, I, I think it's a good deal. I do. I think it's a really good deal. So I'll, I'll say he sticks with it just for the hell of it, not knowing how the rest of the season is going to go. We'll see. At 7 Trivia asks, who will start game two of the playoffs? It's got to be Nestor. Yeah, it has to be. It's got to be Nestor Cortez. I don't really know how you go with anything else. Definitely not Frankie Montas if he's even healthy. Definitely not. It's got to be. It's got to be Nestor. Some people want Nestor to start game one. <laughs> All right, let's do the usual final two. First up is my girlfriend, Vic Salimo. And Vic asks, October is approaching fast. At this point in the season, what are your overall thoughts on where we stand? What do you think will happen going forward and what needs to be done? Uh, they need to keep winning games. <laughs> they need to keep winning games, keep getting those reinforcements back. Guys need to keep returning from injury. And uh, take care of the teams that you should, that you have to take care of, like the bad ones. And especially in that series in Toronto, make sure you win at least one in that series. At least one game. So, yeah, take care of who you have to. Um, what I think will happen going forward, I think within this week, Judge will tie and pass Babe Ruth and even Maris, maybe. Um, overall thoughts on where we stand? I like where they stand. Five and a half games at this point with 16 to go. They just got to take care of business. At this point, again, they're still in a position where they're in control of their own destiny. I know that expression drives a lot of people nuts because Boone and a lot of others use it frequently, but it's the truth. If they just keep winning games, then there's not a damn thing anybody else can do about it. So... They are legit in control of their own future here. But I like where they stand so far. I wish they would stop losing the kind of boneheaded games like on Friday, for instance. But those are going to happen. They happen a little too much with this team. A little too much for my liking. But I guess overall at this point, going into an off day on Monday with about two and a half weeks left in the season, I'm okay with where they're at, I guess. I wish they had the best record in the AL still, because I would like them to have home field advantage, but that is not happening, if I had to say. Last and certainly not least is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and my mom asks, do you think at this point Garrett Cole has become overrated? Because at points, I do. When he's on, he's unstoppable, but the problem is, is when he's off, he's way off, and it's happened a little too often this year for the glory and salary that came with his name. I, for one, fear every time he comes out in the mound until he shows us that he's got it. For me, the magic is over for him on some days. I miss our pitching at the beginning of the season. Who took those guys and replaced them with these lookalikes? Hope they get it together for the playoffs. <laughs> well, the pitching's actually been better overall of late, for the most part, with the exception of Montes mostly, but... Yeah, I mean, listen... Garrett's been tough to watch at points throughout the season. It's been a very strange season for him because, like you said, Mom, I mean, you're right. There are days where he's God-tier. He's literally taken perfect games and no-hitters into later parts of the game, seventh, eight innings at times. And there are just times where he just takes shutouts deep into the game. He does a fantastic job. And then he has his clunkers that are really baffling, and they've happened a little too much. So he's had a very inconsistent season. He definitely has. So... I would definitely understand people's trust being shaken. 
I mean, nobody can seem to get the wild card out of their heads from last year, and understandably so. It was horrible to watch. <laughs> Nobody's disputing that. Um, but yeah, it's pretty nerve-wracking when he goes on the mound. Like today, for instance, like I said before, right the first couple of batters at the beginning of the game, I was already able to tell he really didn't have it. And that sucks to see that. I mean, like you said, you fear every time he comes out until you see his stuff and you know that he's got it. Because if he doesn't, he could have a one-inning clunker that just takes the Yankees out of the game. Fortunately, that three-run homer by Wong in the first inning of today's game didn't get the team down. They came back. The offense was resilient. Scored 12 runs. So, I don't know. But yeah, the beginning of the season, just everything was clicking right, Mom. Everything. The offense was great. The pitching was some of the best we've seen. The highest DRA in the rotation, like two, two and a half months in, was like 330 it was just stupid what was going on. It was unlike anything we've ever seen, pretty much. So, <laughs> it's funny you call them lookalikes. <laughs> but yeah, that team was just playing out of their minds. I mean, they went 52-18. and 18. Come on. <laughs> it was just ridiculous. So, probably never going to see anything on that sort again. And if you do, it's probably not going to happen for a while. So, that team was just out of their minds. If they could even just find a middle ground between what they did for most of the second half and that first half, I mean... They would still be a pretty damn good team. So that is the hope that they do get it together for the playoffs because in the end, that's what matters, right? So, all right, guys. Well, that just about does it for the Q&A. I think I read about 10, 10 plus. So that'll do it for that. I thank each and every single one of you who submitted questions. If I didn't get to you, as always, I apologize. (laughs) But, you know, I try to get to as many people as I can every week. And whether I get to you or not, I so appreciate your interactions each and every week. You have no idea how much I do. I love each and every one of you so much. But that is all for episode 155 today, my friends. So please do remember, if you do not already, follow me on all social medias. My Facebook fan page is Mike Scudero NY. My Twitter is at Mike Scudero. That's what you want to go for most of the entertaining tweets and most of content. And my Instagram is MikeScuds97. Please be sure to subscribe to Yapping Yankees everywhere and show your love by leaving likes, leaving comments, the whole deal. It's available on YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. And if you've missed any episodes, you're not out of luck because you could listen to episodes 34 up to 155 today on YouTube and all Yapping Yankees episodes, including today's going back to episode one. They're all available on SoundCloud, Apple, and Spotify. Once again, thank you, 3000, for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you probably Friday and then have the episode released on Saturday based off of what I said before. Depending on what happens this weekend, I will keep you posted on social media, so keep your eyes peeled for that. The point is, I will talk to you at some point next weekend when I come at you with episode 156 of Yapping Yankees as the season continues to unfortunately come to a close. But until then, guys, hang in there, be patient, stay safe, look out for your loved ones. Yanks, let's smack around a couple of more bad teams this week. And Judgy, our beloved Aaron Judge. It is probably going to be pure chaos at the stadium this week in anticipation of him breaking the record, but hopefully we see you do it, Judge. We'll see. And just render us even more speechless like you always do. (laughs) 
Otherwise, go ahead and kick life's ass this week, my friends. I'll talk to you next weekend. Take care.